There's kind of a funny story. Um, about 10 years ago in Gatlin, Tennessee, there was a guy by the name of Ronnie Ellis. He was at home alone, and some men broke into his home and kidnapped him and held him for ransom. They called his family a couple days later and, um, and over the phone said, um, you know, we're demanding $20,000 or you'll never see your son again. He was, um, he was an adult, but it was call, calling his parents and, and, um, and, and they said, no, um, we're not going to give you $20,000 for our son and, um, and hung up. And so the, the kidnappers didn't really know what to do, and so they kind of waited a little while, gave it a couple hours, and, and called back and said, okay, we will, we'll, we will give you your son back for $15,000. And the parents, again, said, no, we're not um, paying you money. And so all of a sudden, this negotiation took place over the phone where the, the kidnappers started haggling with the parents trying to figure out, and it got down to $5,000. We'll give you 5000 or give us $5,000. We'll give you your son back alive. And the parents just finally said, no, you can keep him. And they hung up the phone. 24 hours later, Ronnie Ellis showed up at his parents' house completely unharmed. The kidnappers just finally figured out, hey, if the parents don't want him, we don't want them either. Somebody's going to have to take this guy. They just let him go. How many, how many of you have people in your life that you probably wouldn't pay a ransom for? Do you have anybody? Some of us have those people that we would probably look at the kidnappers and say, no, we'll give you a thousand just to keep them. Just keep them about a month or so. We're not interested in this. We just need a little bit of a break. Ever felt like that before? I just need, I just need a break. Listen, relationships is what this series is all about. Is that relationships, even though there are people that we dearly and deeply love and we find priceless, on some days, on other days, they can just be difficult to get along with. Amen? Amen? Yeah, they're priceless some days. Other days, they're not worth a penny. Um, so how do we navigate this? How do we navigate this, this, this issue um, of relationship? Jesus said this. Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he said, and the second commandment is just like the first. In another translation, he says, and the second commandment is equal to the first, and it's love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've been looking at some road signs over the last five weeks um, that help us get some handles on how we can navigate this, how we can love people well, how we can survive those relationships. And today I hope um, that this message is helpful for some of us. And if it's not helpful for you today, then keep your notes because it probably will be helpful to you at some point on your journey. Or maybe you have a friend or a relative or a neighbor that's going through this. How many of you um, recognize this sign? Brighton, can you throw it up there for me? There it is. Yeah, I, I got anybody recognize this sign? What is this sign? Merge. How many of you have seen this sign a few times in Santan Valley? Anybody? I'm sick and tired of this sign. I'm ready to throw it away and burn it down. Right there on Hunt Highway by our house in Johnson Ranch, 
we were talking about today. It is a booger bear. If you live in Florence, you're up a creek. And um, this sign is everywhere. And it's about merging traffic. I put this in your notes. Um, how do we deal with relational mergers? A relational merger is any time you have to make room for someone else on your life's journey. Relational merger is any time you have to make room for someone else on your life's journey. We know the sign. You're driving down the road. You're going well. You're cruising. Traffic is flowing. Beautiful. And all of a sudden, this sign pops up, and it lets you know that something's going to happen where we all have to merge down to one lane. And for some reason, we can't figure out how to do that without being hateful and mean and causing accidents and honking and, and some people giving signals you know, out the window that aren't so beautiful for other people. We've all dealt with this. But the idea is that, is that we're all going to come to a place in our lives where other people are going to join us in our journey. And how do we make room for that? What are some of those relational mergers that take place? I put a few in your notes. The first one is this, is marriage. How many of you discovered that when you got married, you had to move over a little bit? And I'm not just talking about in your bed. For those of you that like to sleep in the middle, all of a sudden you got to roll over to the side to make room for another person. And it's just not about that. It's about the way you live and the way you share things and how you do stuff in your everyday life. It's probably you, you get married and you think, man, this is great. I get to be with this person every day for the rest of my life, right? And then, not, not you, I'm sure you feel this way sometimes. And then you start thinking, I've got to be with this person every day for the rest of my life. Now, this is not us, because we're great, babe. They're great between the two of us. Here's the deal that we all have to understand. We chuckle, we laugh. But when we, got, when we get married, um, when we join in a relationship together, we have to make space for that other person. We can't just continue to do our life the way we want to for the rest of our lives. We have another person that we're joining together and we're merging our lives together. Everybody get this, right? Here's a second one. Blended families. You get remarried. You have kids. Two families blending together. It's not just two people, but it's several people. And when you start blending, you know, his kids and her kids and multiple kids, and sometimes it's not just his kids and her kids, but it's their other kids' kids, it gets really chaotic. And how do we navigate this to bring all of these lives together without wanting to kill each other. And, and it's not always, it's not always easy, right guys? It's not easy. Here's the third one. We all know children. Having kids is more of an adjustment than getting married. It just is. It's, it's difficult. Here, and you know why? It's because that person that you just brought into your family can't help themselves. Right? They're completely dependent upon those parents. And it's not like they can just go do their own thing and fix their own lunch and change their own diapers and dot, dot, dot. And, and, and their life, our lives completely revolve around their lives. And there's nothing we can do about that. 100%. You can't take the afternoon off. I've thought about that. Haley's at work. 
just going to take a nap on the couch and just let Bubba do whatever what he wants to do. And you wake up and the TV's turned over and he's off somewhere else. Where, what happened to my kid? What happened to my house? You can't do that. It's not safe. Having children is a relational merger. Here's another one. Siblings. Poor Bubba has no idea what's coming. Having a little sister. When you have more kids, you just have to adjust your life as a parent. But here's the deal is that your kids have to adjust their lives also. Do we have any large families in here? Like really large? What's some of the large families? How many, how many brothers and sisters do you have, George? Twelve? My goodness. I know, I know Mark up here has a few. Ten? Yeah, are you kidding me? Fourteen! Man, they're just all the, your mom just like stayed pregnant, like for a decade, two decades. Just kid after kid after kid. Happy Mother's Day. Here's another one. It's crazy, right? In, in, in these large families, the more kids you add to the mix, the more everybody has to blend, the more everybody has to merge, and the children have to, like, all of a sudden, kids start being parents. And, you know, the 14-year-old son is taking care of the one-year-old little sister. You know, there's just all these added roles that take place. Here's another one, roommates. Anybody go to college and have that terrible roommate experience? Anybody? Or just someone that you thought, hey, this would be great. They could live with me for a while. It's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. And then they move in and you just want to strangle them because it's just not working out. You still have a twitch. You know, it's like, ugh, roommates. It's not great. But it's a, it's a merger. Caring for a relative or a friend. Here's the thing. Is that life, as life happens, parents get older. And, and, and usually at some point, children sometimes have to start taking care of their parents. And, and when you're caring for them, you have to adjust your life for them for a season of their lives to be um, t- t- in your relationship. That makes sense, right? We all get this. Staff expansion. You know, when, when you have at your office and you bring in a new staff member, you bring in their personality and their experiences to your bunch. And what used to be a really tight-knit, fun-loving group all of a sudden has this new person that you have to initiate and bring into your experiences. And, and that can create some, some difficulties as you share space and share time. Here's the last one. Just adding people to your group. Friendships in general. Anytime you add a new person to your friend circle, you have to learn how to, how to merge and how to add them. To it. So how do we do that? Here's just a few things. Five thoughts about relational mergers this morning. The first one is this. As much as possible, prepare yourself for the oncoming relationship. If you have ever gone onto an entrance ramp to a freeway, that entrance ramp has another name. Does anybody know what that other name for an entrance ramp is? It's an AR. The, the, the initials are AR. Entrance ramp, anybody? Acceleration ramp. Yes, that's the other name. There's an entrance ramp and an acceleration ramp. And and the whole purpose is this. It's not called, are you ready? This is going to be news. It's not called a stop ramp, right? For all of us out there, it's not called 
a stop ramp. You don't just cruise along on the entrance ramp, the acceleration ramp, and then get to the very end when you got to get into traffic and just stop and wait. The purpose is, is to accelerate to the flow of traffic so that you can blend in. You have to get going before you get there. And most people are, or, or some people are not in a hurry and they just cruise and putter along and then they stop and everybody else is going 60 miles an hour and they're standing still and they're trying to figure out how, why they're having a hard time getting on to the freeway. It's not good. Same thing with relationships. Are you ready? You don't wait until the relationship starts to get ready for it. Smart drivers start moving before the traffic hits. If you're anticipating a merger in your life, you need to start thinking about it in advance. That's why it's so important if you're about to get married uh, to go to premarital counseling. And here's the deal. When I do premarital counseling with people, I can't give them all the answers to all the questions and all the issues that are going to come up in their relationship, right? That would be crazy. That's There's no way you can fit that into five, six, or seven sessions. It's not going to happen. But we can start thinking about the questions. And we can start thinking about the answers. And we can start the process of, of, of thinking about what do I need to be thinking about as I move forward. When Haley and I discovered we were having our first kid, we went to every single baby class that the hospital offered. Every single one. We learned the CPR. We learned the food thing. We learned how to change diapers. We learned things to look for. We, we probably went to five or six different sessions on, on, on babies because neither one of us had had a baby before, right? And we wanted to be prepared. I had, you know, I volunteered in like the little kids class when I was a teenager. But other than that, not a whole lot of diaper changing experience in my life. And, and so we wanted, we wanted to be prepared. We wanted to start thinking about what could happen. Now, did we learn everything about being a parent in those five classes we went to? Lord Jesus, no, we did not. But it got us thinking and it got us headed in that right direction of realizing that our lives, get this, are about to change. And we're bringing a person forever. We're bringing a person into this family. You've got to start thinking about the possibilities. You have to start thinking about the questions. You have to start thinking about the challenges of what's going to happen as this relationship merger takes place. The church I was on staff at um, before I came here is in Chartel Church of God, and they're in Oklahoma City. In 1985, they were on the south side of Oklahoma City. And in 1985, the college that I graduated from, um, not in 1985, but much later, um, actually moved to Oklahoma City, three miles down the street from the college. It was in Houston, Texas, and they were wanting to expand. They were kind of landlocked in Houston, and so they moved north to Oklahoma City, and they became Mid-America Christian University, or Mid-America Bible College at the time. And, uh, and so the church, to get prepared for all of these students that were in our movement, in our, in, in all these professors that were probably going to be coming to Chartel decided to have a few family meetings leading up to this transition that was going to take place because they were going to be three miles away. And so they had these meetings talking about, you know, that we're probably, when the fall semester starts, we're probably going to have 30 or 40 college students attending our church that didn't before. And what's that going to look like? How are we going to minister to them? We're probably going to have 
20 or so professors and spouses that we didn't have before. And if you're a church of 200 or 300 and you're adding 70, 80, 90 people, that's an adjustment when it happens over one weekend. And so they started talking about that and preparing them for it. And then the day came that the college moved. And the first Sunday, when all of these students and all of these these um, professors and staff members came to the church and parked in the parking spots, and the people who normally parked in their parking spots didn't all of a sudden have their parking spots, people started feeling the pressure of this merger. When they had their first all-church potluck, you remember those good old days when you had all-church potlucks every other month? You had this big fellowship hall and all the ladies would make their amazing dishes. And and the first time they had an all-church potluck and 40 college students came and were the, probably the first 40 people in line, it looked like a plague of locusts had taken over the buffet line. And if you weren't in the first half, you were picking through like the salad scraps because everything that was good was now gone. That second Sunday when, when a college student sat on Sister Smith's pillow that she left in her pew because that's where she always sits every single week, it became a problem. There was a relational merger that was taking place that just aren't, and you have to start thinking about it early to prepare yourself emotionally. Does that make sense? The scripture, Proverbs 21.5 says this, good planning and hard work does what? What does it say? Lead to, lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to what? Poverty. So if we're constantly just taking shortcuts and doing things on the fly and being really hasty about decisions, we end up in a bad place. But planning, preparing, and hard work lead to prosperity. As much as possible, prepare yourself. Here's a second thought. Recognize that some relationships will just need the right of way. When we talk about merger, the idea that we got, that we get in our heads, is that we, th- we think that each person's going to give a little. If I give a little, and if they give a little, then we'll just be able to slip right in. But what happens is, in traffic real life, we have all those jokers that just keep wanting to go and force in and, and, and they don't want to, they don't want to give. But the reality, the truth of it is, is that with some relationships, you are going to have to be the one to give up the room because they just don't have the ability to do so. A baby. A baby can't take care of themselves. A baby comes along and a baby gets everything all the time, right? Gets all the love, gets all the affection, gets all the attention. And and it's necessary to be able to take care of that child. It's just going to need everybody else has to make room for the baby, right? Adult relationships. When someone isn't in the same place as us, sometimes we have to be the ones to make room for them. For instance, your spouse decides to go back to college. They're at a place in their life where they decide they need more education, they need to study something, they want to further their career, and so they decide to go back to college. And and the rest of us have to make room for that because for this season, 
For this season, we're going to do all, we're going to be all in for this person. We're going to make room for their challenge that they're facing in life. In marriage, sometimes in marriage, it's one person leaves their world and enters into the other person's world. If it's a move across town, if it's a move to a different church, if it's a move across country. And when that happens, and that other person leaves all the stuff that they love to come and join you in another place, we have to make room in our lives for them in our merger. Merger. I love what Jesus says in John fifteen thirty three or fifteen thirteen. Read it with me. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now here's the deal. We read that verse and we think, man, I will jump in front of a bus for my spouse. Push him out of the way. I'm going to lay down my life for them. You know what? If someone was going to shoot him, I would do like the crossbody jump in front of him and take that bullet. I will lay down my life for them. And and cuz that's easy, right? That's easy. But every single day Living out this with all of our decisions, laying down our lives to them daily. Now that's a lot tougher. Today, today, how can you lay down your life for your wife, for your husband, for your children? How can you say in this moment, I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to make this about them. How can I bless them? How can I help them? How can I encourage them? How can I push them towards Jesus? How can I do that? Here's a third thought. You might need to star this one. Over-communicate so you don't frustrate. How many of you would be honest enough to admit that, that, over, that over time that you may have had some communication problems from time to time with people in your life? Anybody there? Yeah, we all have. We all have. Every week. Here's a few funny cartoons I found online. Are you ready? This first one says, um, it's two people sitting down. If we want this relationship to work, we'll have to start communicating. I'll go first. Get your feet off the table. Anybody? Here's another one. This one's funny. Um, how come we never talk anymore? Do you realize that we hardly, we have hardly any communication between us at all? You talk more with people on your computer than you do with me. In the next picture, now we can talk all you want. He puts a computer in front of her. Here's a third one. This is really funny. Do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when I talk? Anybody dealt with that with before? Hey, put your hand down. Yeah. If the shoe fits. Yeah. If, they're funny. Um, but this is how communication happens. This is some of the common problems. When we think about a merger... This is something that has to happen. We have to communicate. with When you're driving and another person wants to merge, how do you want them to communicate with you? It's with a little thing called a what? A blinker. A signal. And how frustrating is it when that person refused to communicate with you and they just whip on over, right? Drives me bonkers. It's dangerous. The purpose that it's there is for us to communicate with each other. And when we don't communicate with the people around us, when we're trying to merge with that thing called a blinker, it frustrates people. Why have it if we're not going to use it, right? That's a whole nother issue. Look, I wish we were like Jesus in this. John, in Luke 5.22, it's so funny. It says, and Jesus knew 
what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Here's the thing. We're not Jesus. Right? Say it with me. I'm not Jesus. I can't read your mind. Jesus could read minds. I can't do it. I don't know what you're thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking. And that's why it's so important to communicate. And not just communicate, but over-communicate. Most of us get into problems because we don't communicate enough or we don't communicate soon enough. Remember that phrase that I gave you a few weeks ago? It says, let me what? Let me process this. Does anybody remember that? Let me process. Here's another one for you. Are you ready? You might want to write this down. How are we doing? How are we doing? It's a great question to put in your in your repertoire to ask your spouse or to ask your kids or to ask people. And when you get busy in life and you, you feel like you and your spouse are just rushing along, there are times to pause and to look at each other and say, how are we doing? Are we okay? Is there anything you need to tell me? Is Here's some things I need to tell you. And, and to get back on that same page, we have to ask that question with our kids. Are you getting enough of daddy's time? How are we doing? Do you need something from me? I appreciate you so much. I know that we're about to go through a transition here pretty soon. Is there anything you need? How are we doing? How are you doing? Here's another one with staff. How are we doing? Are you getting what? Are, are we doing what's important? Do you feel valuable? Do you feel cared for? Can I? What can I do to help you? Listen, I know people frustrate you, but they can't read your mind. You have to communicate. They don't know how you're thinking, and they don't know how you're feeling. We have to be able to share that, and we have to be able to hear that from other people. Does that make sense? It'll help you so much. Here's another one. Give yourself permission to vent and grieve. But remind yourself of the joys and benefits. Sometimes relational mergers are so frustrating that we forget they can also be wonderfully fulfilling. It's so important to think about. If you get frustrated from time to time, can I just tell you this? Welcome to the human race. Right? Welcome. Welcome to the human race. That's just part of being alive. It happens in marriages, with your kids, at work, with adjustments. It just happens. And we have to be willing to make those adjustments. And here's the thing, is that we do need a safe place to vent from time to time. It probably wouldn't be healthy for your marriage if every time you got frustrated with your spouse, you looked at him and said, you know what, you're really ticking me off today. Right? That probably wouldn't be healthy if you did it in that way every time. There are moments when you have another person in your life, a trusted counselor or a, 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 or someone holding you accountable that you can say, you know what, I'm having some difficulty. Can we just process this a little bit and just talk it out so you're not always just spewing on your spouse. But it's, So it's okay to vent. It's okay to grieve. But we also need to remember how amazing these other people are in our lives from time to time. And to, and to remember that and to cherish that. That's why Paul wrote this in Philippians 1, 1, 3. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Now here's the thing, is that if you read many of Paul's letters, Paul's letters, you'll get the picture that these churches that he were writing to were, were quite a bit, a bunch of knuckleheads, right? And he's writing these letters to straighten them out. 
He's writing these letters to say, hey guys, you're screwing it up. I want you to know these things. You're, 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 you're doing this wrong and, and I want to help you and be a blessing to you. But he's also saying, man, I give thanks to my God for you because you're a blessing to me in my life. Haley and I started having kids really late. And that little booger of mine, um, Wesley, he is the most amazing baby in the world. And 90% of the time, he is a joy and a pleasure to have. But there are other moments when he's a booger. And he stresses me. And he wears me out. And I sometimes I think about the fact that I'm going to be like 60, 61 years old when he graduates high school. And I start to like, like, oh my gosh, the rest of my life is going to be about this kid, Right? And then I think about this. Oh my gosh. The rest of my life is going to be about this kid. And the joy that he brings me. And when he crawls up into my lap and and every once in a while he says, Daddy. He doesn't say it often. But when he does, it just melts your heart. Most of the time he just grunts at me, right? (laughs) Ah. (laughs) And I begin to think, man, This kid, even though I have more gray hair now than I did a year ago, and my bald spot is bigger than a year ago, he is the light of my life. And I can't wait to have his little sister because she's going to be amazing too. It's a joy and a privilege, even in the difficulty, even in the hardness, to be his father, right? Give yourself permission to vent and grieve, but remind yourself of the joys and benefits of that relationship. And here's the last thing. This is a little bit painful, but we've talked about this numerous times in this series. It says, look for what God wants to teach you about you. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend does what? Sharpens a friend. When you rub two things together, what do you get? Friction. Friction's hot. (laughs) Friction is hot. Friction can be painful if you keep going over and over, but it's also good. The sharpening process is good. Relationships are God's best school of self-discovery. Relationships are the mirrors that God gives us for us to look at ourselves. Anybody can be godly all by themselves, right? A monk up on a mountainside, you know, in his monastery, nobody else around. Yeah, it's easy to be godly there. But you put us in the midst of people, and that's when it starts getting hard. Amen? Yeah. When you bring people into your picture, that's when it becomes harder to be like Jesus. And God uses those people to sanctify us and to make us more like Him. How many of you thought you were a patient and then you had kids? Yeah. How many of you thought you were selfless and then God brought you someone else to show you that you're not? Yeah, yeah. God is using those relationships to make you more like Him. If you will let Him. If you'll let Him. Relationships are God's tool to teach you about you and to help you to be more like Him. 